This is Dr. Karen, and you are listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast, where I help pediatric therapists become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. On this show, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians and educators feel more confident in the way that they serve their caseloads so they can help school-age kids grow up to be successful, kind, well-adjusted people. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 100 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. In this episode, I am so excited to share my interview with special guest, Dr. Gastrid Harrigan. Dr. Harrigan has been an educator for over 19 years as a classroom teacher. He also has experience as an assistant principal, and he is currently a principal in Broward County, Florida. He's also a professor of education at Broward College and Colorado State Global, and he's also the host of the School Leaders Podcast, a show focused on helping current and aspiring principals navigate their leadership journey. One of the most important things that school clinicians and educators can do is have a good working relationship with their building administrator. So many times that will be an assistant principal, a dean, or a principal, depending on how your district works. And it can be very challenging to figure out a good way to communicate with your principal so that you can stay on the same page as far as what you need to do your job well so that you can figure out the best way to get a response from them and also so that you can find ways that you can communicate your questions, concerns in a way that really helps everyone get what they want. So ultimately, you know, on the therapist end, typically they need something, they need some kind of support in order to be able to deliver effective intervention or instruction. And typically the principal is looking at this from a bird's eye view, figuring out how what their therapist or teacher is doing in conjunction with the whole building team. So really, everybody wants the same thing in the end, which is better student outcomes. So in this conversation, we talk about how to do that and really how therapists can work together with principals to get the support that they need, as well as help the principals get what they need. One really helpful concept that we discussed in this episode is the concept of operating procedures. This is a term often used by leadership. I've heard it used in corporate, business, as well as school leadership. And really, it's the whole concept of your habits and routines. Now, with clinicians and teachers, a lot of times we use different terminology. We might say things like routines or lesson plans or protocols. But this concept can be really helpful in giving you a way to create structure in your day so that you actually get things done. And when you're thinking about working as a team member and communicating with a bunch of busy people, especially when you know that there are people that you should follow up with and a lot of times it's easy to forget or push it off, instead of being proactive and building a relationship so that you put out fires before they happen, and this applies when you're working with the adults on your team, it also applies for how you work with students, how you manage your therapy room or your classroom, and how you work routines and expectations into your process so that you can stay on task and make sure that students are ready to learn. So this is something that we talked a lot about because it's, something that comes to building principals' attention a lot. It's something where they have to provide support for their staff. So definitely something big on their radar and definitely something that can also help you to have a good working relationship with your principal while at the same time helping you be more productive so that you have time to show up for your students. Before we get going in the episode, I wanted to remind you about my free executive functioning implementation guide. One of the biggest concerns that I've noticed among school leaders, as well as just, you know, all the professionals working with kids is children's mental health. But the problem is that schools often don't have the information that they need in order to adequately support kids in this area. The truth is that many school-based 
intervention plans for things like mental health, behavior management, and even social skills intervention that can have a huge impact on kids' self-esteem neglects an essential set of skills. So in this free executive functioning implementation guide, I show you how to get your school on the right track because most people don't realize that this is a critical area where we need to support kids in order to help them to be resilient and independent. Many times there is a significant amount of anxiety that is caused by weak executive functioning. And if anxiety stems from executive functioning issues, things like talk therapy or just simply doing things like positive reinforcement are not going to work in isolation. We need to actually teach the skills students need in order to be able to plan and execute complex tasks so they don't go into their school day anxious about what lies ahead of them. So to learn more about this free guide and why it is such an important piece of supporting students' relationships, their emotional regulation, as well as their self-esteem, you're going to want to check out this guide. All you need to do to do that is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash efschools. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash efschools. So now please enjoy this interview with Dr. Gastrid Harrigan. So today I am joined by Dr. Gastrid Harrigan, a school principal and the host of the School Leaders Podcast. So thank you so much for being here with me today. How are you doing, Karen? Um, I'm just excited to be here and looking forward to this um, interview and adding value and sharing, um, you know, advice tips to your listeners. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I have been really wanting to talk to more school leaders because I have a lot of a lot of clinicians in my audience who are working with, you know, working on school teams, and I think that really getting the perspective of everybody across the board is really valuable. So I thought, why don't we start off by just having you share a little bit about yourself. So your, you know, what you've been doing so far in your career and what kind of work you're doing now. Okay, awesome. Um, so I like to say my daytime job, I'm a school principal. Um, eight and a half years and during my ninth year as a secondary principal, my school um, is seventh graders all the way to 12th graders. Every so often we keep uh, an 18, 19 year old just to make sure they walk across the stage. But uh, just passionate about that. Prior to the principalship, spent about seven and a half years as a as an assistant principal. But during that time frame, I've worked really started off at, as a math teacher mm -hmm. uh, at the high school level. Then I went into a became an assistant principal at the um, the school that was back then seven to twelve. So we, okay. we had a range and we provided support um, to students who had emotional challenges, behavior challenges, obviously academic, um, and then traditional middle school, traditional elementary. And I'm back at the same similar school where uh, we, we it's a school specialized to provide behavior, um, uh, support, therapy, um, counseling support to ensure that uh, students are, uh, I like to say, life ready and college mm -hmm. ready. Yeah. Um, so the end, the, the past six months, uh, I've been, uh, I started, the, as you mentioned earlier, the school leaders podcast that, uh, that focus on providing advice tips for school leaders, um, school principals and, and how they can scale up their practices and, and create phenomenal growth, um, stu uh, around student achievement. Uh, and of course that, that has to do with, um, you know, changing and modifying and improving your school culture. So yeah. that, that's sort of in a nutshell what I've been doing. And of course, on the side, I'm a, a adjunct professor that teach at the educational, um, you know, master's and bachelor's level classes. And you've done a lot on the speaking circuit as well, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Oftentimes, uh, I, I did take a good, I think, six months to a year. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have a conference next month. So, yes, I, I do present in different conferences and, uh, and, and, and share uh, really um, some of the work that uh, my team and I have been doing and scaling up and taking our school really from 10% graduation to over 90%, um, really working to become a trauma-informed type of school, uh, a school that is very much aware that it's all about the whole child 
And until mm -hmm. you support the whole child, then you won't see the growth in the support that is needed around the academic. Yeah, definitely. Well, so it sounds like you're very busy. I appreciate you taking the time today. So I am just curious. I hear a lot from from the therapists who are working directly with the kids and the other members of the team. And so I know what kinds of things that are on their mind as far as their pain points and what kinds of discussions are going on in those professional circles. But I'm curious what kinds of things get discussed as far as, you know, like daily pain points and headaches and frustrations among principals. You know, um, so it varies, right? Each, each school has um, different challenges. For me, it's unique in that, um, you know, we have, while for me, I believe the whole, t you know, team support, everybody work as a, as a team. But, you know, typically you have your IEP team, right? Uh, in my mm -hmm. county, it's more your ESC specialists, your ESC facilitators. I know neighboring counties call them uh, ESC coordinators. But again, your ESC, uh, your core ESC team that that create the IEPs and provide support. Obviously, you have the, the, the speech and language uh, pathologists. And then I have about three family uh, therapists, which also provide the counseling and that are part of the IEP team and guidance counselors, of course, the instructional people that do some of the support. So um, what I often find both locally and uh, at my school and at, at, uh, at my district is that oftentimes one of the biggest things, of course, is conflicts. And when we say conflicts, we talk about both interpersonal conflicts and uh, diverge viewpoints and how to support a child mm -hmm. and, and helping um, especially newer uh, ESC folks or newer members of the team, helping them work with either the parent, the advocate, the lawyer, uh, and ultimately the, the 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 educational team, which is the teachers, right, who are going to implement those. Helping that, that whole team to create the best plan and then implement it. Uh, often the major conflicts are around creating it because parent may want A and and this B can be provided. And 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 how do we um, not let necessarily school resources dictate what we provide to kids and how do we make sure we provide the best conducive environment. I think within that, we could spend an hour talking about that is how yeah. do we, how do school leaders coach, guide, right? Um, um, especially the lead uh, folks, uh, your ESC specialists, your ESC uh, coordinators that are primarily responsible to crafting and, and working with the team to finalize uh, the plan. And oftentimes, uh, depending on the principal's background, they, they, they may struggle in how to assist them, especially around the technical aspect of it. Um, so often when I'm working with uh, principals, you know, I tell them, listen, the, the first and foremost, make sure you're within the district guideline and IDA laws, right? And making sure that once you're following those, the next thing is what is best for kids and how do we bring everybody around the table to come up with that plan. Everybody's not going to agree to it, but you do need to listen to the parent. You do need to listen to advocate. And how does that, um, not just whatever they say, but you need to listen to it. And together, we reach some consensus on what is the best way. Because I think at the end of the day, we I often like to say everybody's really here for the kids, right? Because if the parent uh, hire an advocate and hire a lawyer, it's primarily because they, they have some concern and they want to make sure that uh, their ESC child, their um, kids who are 504, uh, who are gifted, get the, the proper service and support and accommodation to be successful? And how do we get a, across that? And I think that's a journey um, that each school leader must gradually, consistently evaluate, have dialogue, and, and see how they can improve. Yeah, I think what you're, and, and it depends on which district, but a lot of times that coordinator, it depending on the size of the district, it could be you know, a special ed coordinator or an administrator, or even I worked in a smaller district. And a lot of times the principal would be almost in the coordinating role, depending on the size of the team. We did eventually bring in some coordinators, but I think what's kind of challenging, and I was having a conversation about this with somebody this week about this whole, the whole idea of this chain of command and that, you know, the the therapist sometimes feels like the coordinator is dictating what is being done, but then it's like, well, they have a boss too that they're, they have to report to. And, and then that boss is thinking about not just what's going on with you and your room, but also this whole team of people who are, you're probably getting a lot of people in all these different perspectives thrown at you at once 
and you're trying to make, I don't, I don't want to say make everybody happy, but trying to come up with a good decision. How do you balance all of that? You know, um, the best way I believe, or some of, well, one of the ways I, I think is for me is usually somewhere in the beginning of the year, uh, individually meeting uh, with your speech pathologist, your therapist, your family therapist, and the various members uh, of the core team. I like to say core because you, you bring additional people as needed. And then having a, a understanding of how we do, I like to say how we do business. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's going to be different perspective. Each case is going to be different. But at, number, at the end of the day, number one, I think the, the, the building principle need to set that expectation. A, we are going to be professional, right? We are going to be professional. B, we're going to treat each other with respect. We're going to seek to understand, then to be understood. So we're going to start with that viewpoint that we're going to seek to understand each person's viewpoint and, and understanding that um, that most people are trying to come up with the best solution for the child. And 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 when there are individual conflicts, then how do we as a team handle issue? One of my biggest um, uh, viewpoint and perspective and style is, okay, the team discuss what needs to happen. And if there's still disagreement, then involve me or bring me or my assistant principal into that conversation and dialogue to ensure that, um, you know, to ensure that I can then guide and support. And most of the time when I am involved, when it gets to me, uh, often what I do really is just listen. And then together we navigate through that. Um, while it sounds simple, but yeah. oftentimes yeah. through that process, we are able to come to a consensus because at the end of the day, what do we need to put in place for this child to be successful? At the end of the day, if if, if the child is weak in English or reading, um, math, or some social skills, what are the core things, right? The minimum, the core, the floor that is needed. Once we start there, then we could go from there. But I do think making sure that the principal in the front end or the administrator, because big school have assistant principals, mm-hmm. but principals need mm-hmm. to make sure their assistant principal is well-versed, right? And have an understanding, because sometimes it's procedural issues. Like, let me give you an example. Um, right before, I think around late November, early December, you know, my ESC person, person came to me and said, hey, I think, you know, one of the one of my, the other members are upset because uh, I did X, Y, and Z. You know, obviously part of that was me listening to her and, and gaining an understanding from her perspective, from her job, right, as the lead, what she had to do. Uh, then had a conversation with that other member who who felt uh, the lead didn't value, uh, welcome their viewpoint, and then from there have went through that dialogue individually and then collectively. How do we do business moving forward? Right. Um, it happened in that case. Part of one of the ways they're going to do it informally is have pre dialogues before those meetings, so that way they, they, you, we can't predetermine, right? We we can't predecide outside yeah. of the meeting, but sort of, but sort of. Okay, you look at the data we collected. Well, you look at the child already. You saw the child. You observe. What are you thinking about? What do you think will work? But we, we, I know we have to be careful with that because then we could violate the law. But at least some 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 dialogue. So when we do get into the meeting, um, I'm not throwing you a curveball, right? But 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 we are sort of. Uh, have looking at the data, everybody could see it differently, but we're going to respect each other's viewpoint. And at the end of the day, we're going to have, um, understand that whatever the final outcome, whatever the final plan is, that's, that's you know, but I think getting everybody to understand that this person is coming from the standpoint of what is best for the child. And often I have to say, we have to say to the adults after they finish vent, it's not about you, it's about the kids. So once we get the emotions out, I was not invited, this and that, what, what does it mean for the child? Uh, and I think it, it, I think at the end of the day, once you allow people to vent and respectfully, um, then then we refocus and reset on the child, and, and usually we're able to reset and 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 continue to work in best interest of kids. Yeah, that's interesting because that was when I was doing my special ed uh, director of special ed credential, and there was in the consultation and collaboration course, there was a story that they shared with us, and I think it was called Let the Tape Run Out, and it was, um, you know, some kind of a case study, or, you know, I don't know if it was like one of those, you know, parables where it's not something that actually happened, but more of a representation of a lot of different scenarios where sometimes people just want to come in and have you listen to them, and even if you don't give them what they want, if you just will listen, they're like, okay, 
I said my piece. And even if I, even if the outcome isn't exactly what I asked for, if I at least got to talk and this with parents too, I've noticed that. Well, sometimes they're like, nobody's listening to me. I don't ever get to talk. If you just let them do that, then sometimes you can, you know, um, let the, again, that's what, that's what they said. Let the tape run out, let people talk and say their piece. And then maybe, you know, maybe you might be able to at least let them feel better about this scenario, even if it's not exactly what they wanted. And to jump in, listen, you, you are spot on. Most, most parents, most staff member, um, they're looking to the principal for a listening ear and they're looking to the team, especially parents and advocates to um, value what they bring to the table, value what they're saying, recognize and, uh, and, and, you know, and value whatever the concern is. Take them, hey, hear me, right? And mm -hmm. take my concerns seriously. So um, let me give you an example. You know, we have a specific child, right? Again, he's struggling behaviorally and, 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 and keep getting referrals, right? The parents wants the phone calls, but the parents also saying, well, isn't the plan for the child being implemented? So, I, so it's important then a, I, I hear the parent concern. Maybe I also hear the, the teacher's concern writing that referral. And then the question becomes, is then we got to step back and analyze it. Is it a specific classroom that this child always get trouble in? Is it because that's the area they're struggling in? So it's an avoidance type of behavior. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble to get out. Or is it a conflict between them and that teacher? Those things do happen. Uh, yeah. And then is it a certain period of the day? Is it when their medicine sort of went run out, right? Um, so based on that data, then as a team, including the parents and the teacher in there, what is the best plan we put forward? And I always like to tell my team, you could put one thing in place. It worked for a couple of weeks and we may have to change it because kids are not robots, right? Mm -hmm. um, but looking at it, hearing what the parent says, and then following up to the parent and say, hey, listen, I had a, mo I had a, a moment to speak to the teacher. I spoke to maybe the, the dean of discipline. Uh, I've spoken to the administration. Here's what we see. Here's what the data says. I've even spoken to the child, especially if the child is, is of age, right? Mm -hmm. um, here's all the concern. And here are the possible um, solutions we are looking at. So here are the things we're going to do in our school. And then parent, hey, what are some other advice you have? The fact that you're asking them, let them know, A, you, you, you took their concern seriously. B, you followed up with them. And now you're asking them, what is their input and the final outcome? And, and if you do that consistently with families, you will find out that when there are bigger issues, parents will trust you, right? Yeah. Uh, advocates will trust you because they know you are in the best interest of kids. And then, and I always, I always tell parents, right? Listen, this plan may work for a week or two. Your child is not a robot. We may need to adopt it, shift it. And what we typically see is once we get everybody on the same page, right? Things improve. And it may include, like, and for some parents, I've had to say, do you want me to send at the end of the day, we send you a report and update to you uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the week. Some families in the beginning say, hey, get, send it to me at the end of the day. As they see things improving, they say, give it to me at the end of the week. Um, whether it is sending it with the child, whether it is collecting from teachers and sending it to parents. It sounds like a lot of work, but if you put system in place, and that's where principal APs comes in. If you help the, the, the ESC person, um, team leader, uh, put systems in place, procedures in place, then you can automate some of those things, right? You, you could really put it online where teachers are just going in and typing for that period. There are different ways you can do it based on your district, based on what's available to you. The key thing is if you put a system in place and then you're sharing that information, that communication, building that trust, building, um, 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 sharing that dialogue, progress. And I like to say progress, both positive and negative. In fact, when the child does well, you want to make sure somebody on that team make a phone call home to celebrate uh, what's working well. When when the team does that consistently over time, right, then um, the child improves because the child feel buy-in. They're really out to help me grow and support, right? Because it may mean in that specific class, somebody push in or somebody pull out, right? We may have to pull the child out for a while and then push or push in depending on what is best um, mm -hmm. until that child's able to experience success. Um, so in those contexts, um, then the team feels satisfied because then as a team, we're celebrating growth. The child feels um, they're being successful because they're getting less referral, their grades are improving. And the parents, um, uh, if we are communicating those progress, whether it is daily, whether it's weekly, then feel like, oh, this, this school is really helping my child improve. My child's not perfect because most parents, to be honest, they know their child. But, but at least if they see progress, they see growth, 
then I think that's the way to, to do it. And, and in between that, there is going to be conflict. Um, so I tell leaders, there's nothing wrong with conflict. It's how you address it, right? It's how you, you uh, there's nothing wrong. And sometimes my staff will look at me like, no, there's nothing wrong. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with conflict. We, if you don't disagree with me, then something is wrong. I don't, you know, but it's how we address it. Do we do it in a professional, respectful manner um, to ensure that we get the best outcome? Yeah, that's really interesting, the idea of systems and processes, because that's something that I have talked a lot about with some of the therapists that I work with. And I think that, you know, some of the people in the clinical world do focus on that. But a lot of people who go into a therapy profession or a teaching profession, it's, you know, they're more of the nurturing personalities. And when you say, this is how we do business. I've heard people get a little bit, you know, push back on that a little bit. And it feels a little bit cold, I guess, to some people, but they don't realize that. And this is kind of what I like to get across to people is that when you put the systems in place, you do those things that you actually need to do to get things done to take care of other people. And it helps you make sure that you're consistent so that the parents feel like they're included or, um, you don't feel like you're so bogged down with paperwork, which is one of the biggest pain points that I get from anybody who's working in special ed, where it's, yeah, you don't want to be too rigid about it and too, you know, focused on your standard operating procedures to the point that you're not feeling engaged with your students. But when you just take the time to put that in place, then that allows you to free up all this energy so that you can be present. And that's just, you know, I think that if we did think about schools like running a business a little bit more often, then it would be helpful. And, you know, I think that's kind of an, an interesting spin on it that a lot of people who are in the trenches directly with the kids aren't realizing that that's how the, how the leaders have to think about things because they're, you know, running this whole system and trying to get everybody doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I think you, you are spot on. Um, and yes, uh, for me, I use the term, that's how we do business. So yeah. um, going into my ninth years, most of my staff are accustomed to hearing it. But I also think sometimes, you know, you could connect it to teacher's lingo. Um, effective oh, teachers yeah. have what? Routine and procedures. Mm-hmm. So what is our routine and procedures to collect data? What is our routine and procedure to go in and collect data on a specific child that we are evaluating? Or a child who's already special ed, um, right? How do we ensure we deliver services, support, and accommodations um, consistently, right? So it, it's it's a, it, whether you want to use the word systems, right? So that's the appropriate word, or you want to use teacher's lingo, which is more procedures, right? Routines. But when I say routine is how do we do specific yeah. things? Uh, obviously, systems is, is, is the broader term, but, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you got to have a routine and a procedure, uh, a process to do so. When you do, you write, like you indicated, you gain more time in, in the back end. When a teacher's, um, well, I have all these different kids with IEPs and, and I said, great, because then that means that you have the freedom, your, 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 your child, the kids in front of you are not necessarily cookie cutters, right? But that also gives you room for creativity, right? Yeah. Whether it is you're going to embed technology, you're going to embed movement, you're going to embed transition. Yes, you're going to have to time and teach them how to transition, but that you, you that allows you to not just spend there in lecture, which... Sometimes even for the teachers, born that allows you to really embed different instructional uh, strategies and and techniques to engage your classroom, right? So, so oftentimes my teachers says, "Oh, I have several kids who, who, who I'm on this class." I'm like, "Great!" And they look at me weird, and I says, "Because it gives you room for flexibility. You yeah. can embed depending how long that period is. You get room to embed technology. You have room for uh, uh, sharing, sh- um, think and share, right?" Uh, think, pair, share, or turn into a buddy and discuss because a lot of uh, uh, special ed students are not your typical, right? They, 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 they are geniuses, but they, they, they think differently. Uh, mm-hmm. So therefore, you have to adapt your classroom to meet their needs, and it may mean you know we do four corners, right? You still are teaching, you still are sharing knowledge, except that they're standing, right? Uh, adding brain research and muscle memory and all that stuff, right? That that that, that support learning, but they are engaged. Right. But they're just not sitting. They may be standing engaged. Obviously, would you have to teach them how to transition properly to so you don't waste time? Yes. That's part of classroom routine and procedures. But that allows you to differentiate the classroom. And guess what? The research also say it's not just you doing it for the SE kids. That's how all kids learn. So it's oh, not yeah. just for special ed kids. It's really everybody. So, 
Yeah. I mean, in my special ed background, they had, you know, the, the whole idea of universal design where you actually realize that you can do a lot of things that can help the entire student body by thinking about what the kids who need that versus the idea of assistive technology versus instructional technology, where some kids need it, they're not going to be able to access the curriculum if they don't have it. But other kids, if it's nice that they get access to it, because then it improves their ability, you know, it's, it's beneficial to them. I think the most basic example that I've been given of universal design is um, a, like a curb where it's like, you can't, the, you know how like a ramp when you're you're on the sidewalk, uh, someone in a wheelchair needs that. They need the ramp to get up, but somebody who is pushing a stroller, they could probably lift it up and put it over the curb, but it's also really nice that it's there. It benefits other people as well. It makes things more convenient. I think that that's the example they give just because it's really concrete and visual. Sometimes people with the the cognitive examples, it's a little bit harder, but yeah, I think every time I have seen anything on classroom management, behavior management, it is about the routine and structure because if you don't have to be giving a lot of verbal directions and you have kids who have a difficulty processing language or, you know, attending to directions, if they just know what they're supposed to do and they just go do it, then there's again, there's your how you get through those transition times and so putting the time in to develop those operating procedures and just, or whatever you want to call it, your lesson plan or your classroom management is so helpful. I wanted to take a quick break here and mention something specific that you can do to advocate for your students as well as take on a leadership role on your IEP team. If you are a related service provider, you likely have students who appear to be disengaged, not motivated, who tend to struggle to get their assignments completed both in class and with homework and often avoid some of the most challenging tasks that they need to do in order to actually learn new skills and get more confident. So many times these issues are related to executive functioning. Oftentimes these students get labeled as lazy or defiant, but really it stems from a much deeper issue. There's a lot of anxiety there because they are not sure how to visualize the steps that they need to do in order to complete tasks. And this comes across as behavior issues, it causes issues with social relationships, and it can have a huge impact on students' self-esteem and mental health. So many times schools think that they need to do all kinds of positive reinforcement, behavior management, talk therapy. Some of those things can be appropriate in certain situations, but if we want students to be more resilient and build their executive functioning skills, we have to actually teach them executive functioning skills. And everyone who interacts with kids on a daily basis plays a critical role in this process. That's why I've created a free executive functioning implementation guide to outline everyone's role in this process. This includes the professionals' roles in the school setting, as well as what students and parents can do. So if you are a related service provider and you want to help your team get on the right track so that you can support your caseload, definitely check out my executive functioning guide. To download that guide, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash efschools. I'm curious if you have people who, so like if, if a staff member, whether it's a teacher, whether it's your coordinator or a therapist has a concern that they want to bring to you, what advice do you have for approaching your principal or your assistant principal with a concern that you have? There, there are different ways to approach your principal, um, depending on your relationship and your principal style. Um, some principals, and including myself, uh, depending on the problem, you could approach me anytime uh, in the hallway uh, if my door's open. So number one, you know, if your principal is in the hallway, you can go up to him and say, hey, I would love to speak to you. Uh, do you have a moment? Um, if it's something small, if it's something. So that's one way. Right. Just just in the hallway. Or um, can you you know, can, can I see you doing my planning time? That's just the easier way in the hallway. Mm -hmm. Something small um, It's not going to divide. You know, you're not going to get into a conversation where we may end up violating for and things like that. It just 
basic concern questions. If it's something that is really uh, that really need the principal's undivided attention, I always say um, schedule a time with the principal. Some principals schedule their own time. Some principals um, have you schedule with their secretary. Some principals have calendars. Whatever their procedure processes are, use that and schedule a time. Uh, what I always tell uh, people is that when you're going to meet, principals are accustomed to hearing concerns all day long, right? And often uh, it's all complaints, complaints, right? So <laughs> yeah. yes, come in, yes, come in and state your complaints, right? Depending what that co- concern or complaints or issue problem is, also come up with some possible solutions, mm-hmm. right? Some, some depending on the issue, some possible solutions. Um, so that way, uh, because often for me, I once I hear um, that concern, let's say we're meeting in the office, you wanted to meet, and 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 I hear your concern, I'm taking notes and I'm jotting down some of the things you're saying. Typically, one of my answers and most principals will say. How do you, you know, something along those lines, how do you want to, what are, what are some possible ways to address this issue, this concern? So at least that gives you, and that let the principal that you are serious about this, you're not just coming to unload, but you've thought through this and there are possible ways um, to address it. So that way you, you share and then together, um, you know, come up with a solution. So some principal will give you an answer right then and there, depending on what it is. Oftentimes, if it's a little bit more complex, I would say, hey, I'm going to follow up with you by XYZ date. Here's where... Uh, I was mentoring uh, a, a teacher leader um, yesterday. We were spending some hours doing some coaching time. And, and you know, and the concern was I spoke to the principal. I sent him an email. He never got back. I said, did you follow up with the principal? No, I did not. And so the, the last piece is, yes, the principal should follow up with you at a reasonable time. But the fact of the daytime job, no excuses, is that we are putting out fires all day long. And oftentimes yeah. things yeah. lose us. And so if they said they were going to follow up with you on Friday, and you haven't heard from them by Tuesday, either send an email or call their secretary or see them in the hall and say, hey, I don't know if you forgot, but, you know, hey, I'm still waiting on that answer. So let me just recap because I said a lot. A, approach them, if, you know, if it's something simple. B, schedule a time to meet with them. When you do come, come with possible solutions. And three, follow up uh, and ensure that whatever the, the issue is, we have a happy medium. And let's say whatever the solution is, you don't really agree with it you know, still agree to disagree, right? Sometimes I have to say, this is what I can do at this present moment. Um, but depending on the issue, this is what I can do at this present moment based on policy, based on funding, whatever it is, depending on it. But hey, I promise you, as we move forward, if there's opportunity to do more, we will do more. Or we will revisit this maybe three months, six months, and things of that nature. I, I think those are the common way to 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 bring concern. Um, but often people just come and unload and not realizing it's great to come and bring possible, um, you know, solutions also. Yeah, that's a big one. I think, so the other thing that you pointed out there, the idea of figure out how they set up meetings or what their policies are, because some people you can just walk into their office. Like one of my principals, it was like, oh, her door's open. I can just walk in. And I knew that she would just, I could just send her an email and we could set up a meeting. Whereas if you have somebody who has somebody else who does their scheduling, that is, you know, really not even just in the schools, you have to kind of figure out how does this person, how does this person handle all their schedule? And that is really key because sometimes people will do things the way that they would schedule a meeting, but it's not the way that the other person would. And then it's like, why isn't this person responding to me? Well, you might have been able to get in really quickly if you would have, you know, just kind of figured out how they do things or how they like to communicate. So that was a, that's a big thing that I have taken away from just, you know, trying to schedule meetings with busy people who, again, maybe sometimes things get pushed down in the inbox. And I can't say how, like that happens all the time. I mean, with just even people who are really on top of things, When you get hundreds of emails a day, there's just going to be things that get pushed down and it doesn't mean that it's anything personal to the other, the person who sent you that email. And so I think that's really important for people to realize that it's not personal. It's not about you. It's just that they're getting flooded with all these different things. And, um, you know, they're probably just as overwhelmed with, with, as you are when you've got 10 evals going on right now or something like that. And what you just said is key. It, it, it is 
not personal. Most principals do not intentionally uh, ignore their staff or their teacher. Like you just said, I get hundreds, and I'm and, I, and I'm not exaggerating. Hundreds of email daily. Um, if I'm going to be an effective principal, effective effective instructional leader, it's tough to um, go through. Right, I, I'll come in early and and basically take out two or three days of emails, um, especially days I know I'm going to be in the classroom for a while. Mm-hmm. I spend an hour or two visiting classroom. By the come by the time I, I come back, I'm, I'm back to the same 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 um, same spot. W- what I tell people is this again. Depending on your leader, like you mentioned, your principal. I, I have an open door policy. My door's open. Come in and we we'll talk, right? Again, and and if you see me in the hallway, we'll talk. I always like to say, listen, I, I can't give you my undivided attention in the hallway. I'm gonna listen to you, but I'm also watching what's happening because that's why yeah, I'm in the hallway. Yeah. Um, because there's, the, the, there's usually this transition happening. One of the things really um, for leaders that, that that are listening to, or even um, ESE. Um, special ed people who are meeting with teachers, leave your office and go meet in their in, in their classroom. Mm. People are surprised. We have a meeting. I'm coming to you. No, no, no. I'm, I'll come to your classroom. It says several things. A, uh, um, listen, I'm going to give you my undivided attention. B, you're important to me that I'm leaving my office, right? And I'm coming to your domain uh, and to come to come meet with you, with you. And that also sometimes allow me to um, focus, right? Because then uh, sometimes as much, you know, I may get a phone call from my boss and my secretary is walking in. Uh, they need you on the phone, right? Whereas for some reason, area office understand a little bit more if you're in the classroom uh, than, than if you are, you know, or, oh, he's in the classroom, or classroom or tell him it's urgent, but we'll wait for him, right? Whereas if I'm in the office, they want me on the phone right now, right? So so um, those are different things, uh, obviously, for the leaders who are listening for the, when I say leaders, I'm not just talking about the position. I'm not talking about APs and principal. I'm also talking about if you are a special ed director or coordinator, or ESC specialist. The the, the 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 speech and language uh, pathologist go and meet with that teacher in their classroom doing their planning mm-hmm. yeah. um, and and give them that undivided and also you buy them five or ten minutes because they would have to collect everything go to you then walk back that allows them to you give them that 10 15 minutes because that, whatever that amount of time depending on if it's a big school you're walking that five minutes even if it's five minutes that's valuable five minutes that you give to the to, to that teacher and they will feel valued appreciated because five minutes is golden yeah. I think anything you can do to make it easy for people to, I don't know, I guess, give give you what you want. I mean, I guess a lot of times when you're meeting with someone, you are asking, there is usually an ask where, so if a, like a therapist or a special ed teacher or anybody who's responsible for providing some intervention, a lot of times it might be, oh, I need some information from you about how kids are doing, or I need some kind of data, or maybe I'm going to make some suggestions for things that you could be doing in your classroom to um, to support what I'm doing in my sessions. And so that's an ask. You're asking the teacher to do something on top of what they're already doing. And so any way that you can make their lives easier and go to them or just deliver things in a way that's that's easier for them. It's so important. Um, I have a question about, since you're mentoring a lot of people as a principal that, you know, it's literally impossible to get a school leader that has expertise or that's done all the jobs of the people that they're supervising. And a lot of times you might be responsible for doing evaluations for people who are, you know, they have expertise in a content area or a discipline that you have not done. So like when I was in the schools, my principal evaluated me as a speech pathologist, and then they would evaluate, you know, the special ed teachers and all the different people. And, and so a lot of times clinicians from that end, they're kind of, you know, like wondering, um, I guess there's always questions about like, how am I being evaluated? and, And what are the best ways to evaluate people when you haven't done the job that they're doing? So how do you handle things like that? And how do you go about giving feedback to people who uh, maybe they're in a position that you haven't done before? Good question and tough question. Um, Yes, most principals have not done every single job. Um, What I tell aspiring and um, current principals is seek to understand the different uh, aspect of your job, um, understand what each team member, especially around the support team, because typically 
your uh, special ed peoples are beside your teachers. They 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 are support people. Seek to understand what they do on a day to day basis, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's different component of their jobs. You know, the ability to write. You know, uh, IEPs. I've never written one myself. Uh, have I been around the team as a teacher? Yes, as an administrator here and there, um, and also uh, other component how they how they work, how they collect data, um, meet deadlines. So for me, I look and also different evaluation systems. So there are tons of different evaluation systems that districts use that does not necessarily purely align, especially for non-classroom folks. So number one, understand, uh, get a deeper, better understanding of what they do on a day-to-day basis. And part of that is meeting with them. Um, Mm -hmm. Typically, I like to have expectation meetings in the beginning of the year. And it's not just me telling you, but it's you also telling me, hey, what are some of the things you're going to focus on this year? What are your growth areas? And just tell me things that you do. I mean, I mean, not understand. I mean, not know. I mean, not realize. Um, And that's where that relationship becomes important. So having those expectation meetings, not just a one-way street, but both ways, right? The the individual sharing it and and having a good understanding of the evaluation system your district use. And here's why I say that. If I have a good understanding of what you do, I have a good understanding of what the evaluation system is, then I'm able to take some of the stuff that you do and embed them and give you the proper evaluation based on the evaluation system. Um, So, and then there are other pieces. For example, let me let me give you an example. If if I do not have any of my uh, you know IEPs out of compliance, obviously my ESC special is doing a great job. Uh, my ESC special has to um, at least once a month, give and take, deliver PD. So I'm also evaluating their content knowledge, right? How they're explaining and providing PD and support to teachers. So that gives you. Um, uh, another perspective because now I have to present. They are presenting whether it's a yeah. small cohort or yeah. a large group, right? Um, oftentimes, um, in conflict case, in, in, in not conflict, in, 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 in major cases, I'm having dialogue uh, and we are reading this IEP. I don't do it often, but my school is complex. So I often get the complex IEP cases in, in my district. And we are the second largest in the state and the sixth largest in the nation. I get the complex cases. That um, that we're out of compliance, we have to bring it in compliance. All suddenly, it's my responsibility, my team responsibility, and how do we navigate and provide services? So, um, part of that dialogue, obviously, I always tell my person, "You are the expert." Um, but part of that expertise is I'm also doing my homework. So, what does that mean? Doing my homework, uh, depending on your district, they they pro- they provide PDs for admin around the ESC or special ed. Go and avail yourself to those. Uh, oftentimes together and individually, I will call the district folks. Uh, by now, they know me by name. Um, hey, yeah. we're having XYZ cases mm-hmm. doing the services. How do we navigate that? Right? Here are our thoughts and how do we do that? Right? Through that, you're having dialogue. Through that, you are, you, you are getting to know that person and then that help you explain based on the, what they're sharing, give you a deeper understanding. So if we work on a complex case, right? And, and I know you have depth not of depth and content knowledge in that specific, right? You need understanding, right? Because again, as an ESC specialist, <laughs> oftentimes you need to understand what they need around math, around this, around that, right? That gives me a different perspective. So when it's time for evaluation, it is not new that I'm evaluating you, right? Uh, I know what you do. We've had conversation and dialogues. Um, for large school, and that's where the assistant principal who's over that needs to do that kind of work and mm, build yeah. their content mm-hmm. knowledge to ensure that you are being fair to that individual. Um, a, you never walk in their shoes, and B, you're looking at their job comprehensively. And then at the end, I don't believe evaluations are a got you thing. So if there are areas of concern before the final evaluation, I'm having conversations, not necessarily documentations per se, conversations. Hey, listen, I noticed in this in this case, um, there's some concern around this child. I pulled their IP. Something looked off here. Tell me what was going on. Um, and I'll be honest with you, not with my current uh, ESC person, but um, in the past, I pull up IEPs and like, well, this doesn't sound right. This is what my experience says. But I reach out and say, hey, take a look at this as a third outside person and tell me what you think. And, and we triangulate that. And, and sometimes I found that not my current person, but in the past, um, there were gaps with my ESC person or family person. So now we work on those gaps, not at the evaluation stage, at building capacity, because 
Remember, as a leader, I'm here to build capacity. I'm here to ensure if the, the therapist, if the, the ESC uh, special ed person, uh, the support person does, if they are good at what they do, they make my job easier. So my goal is in the front end or throughout is to provide them with support. Go take this PD. Go take this, uh, read this book. Go, go, go to. So for me, I'm big on growth. I'm big on giving them time. We call it for us as TDAs where they get to go, whether it's locally or, or across the nation, go and take PDs that will allow you to grow. Because as a leader, you shouldn't be valuing your person at the end. If they're a concern, you really should be addressing them along the way. And you can't address them, especially if there's an area you don't know, if you're not having dialogue and conversation. Not I got you, not I, I got you, Finn, but how do we support and grow? So I've said a lot um, uh, as I uh, the way to do it. And I also, I would flip it. If you're a person and you feel your leader a doesn't understand and they're evaluating you wrong. Set up periodic meeting, periodic reviews to A, explain to them what you do. B, are you meeting their expectations? C, are there any areas they feel you need to grow in? So it's not at the end you upset um, that, that you didn't get what you deserve or you feel you deserve, but you along the way have different dialogues and conversation with your leader to make sure you both of you are on the same page, or at least you are growing or meeting their expectations. Yeah. So it really comes down to, again, the the habits that you have and the consistency, just remembering to have those conversations along the way. I think sometimes just blocking out the time for it, even if you're not exactly sure how you're going to spend the time, but just saying we're going to touch base in whatever, three months or one month. And even if you don't know what that conversation is going to entail, just touching base and seeing what comes up, because you never know. <laughs> you never know what's going to come up during that time. You're right. One habit I recommend for every uh, support person, ESE, regardless of your role, at least every three months, you should request a 30 minutes conversation, dialogue. especially if you're working for a new leader who may not know, new to your building, to your department, or, um, or new totally, right? They may be a veteran, but they're new to your building, to your department, or they're a new administrator. I recommend every about three months, you could pre-schedule it or you could make a reminder for yourself to 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 request it. But every uh, three or so months, depending on how the year fall, you ask for 30 minutes of their time. A, you want to come in there and, and, and share some of the things you are doing. B, what are you working on? And whatever challenges you have. And I think uh, oftentimes um, we do not do that. Support people do not do that. And, 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 um, and, 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 and for me as a leader, uh, if I have a new person in, in my building or when I was new, I set up periodic meeting as a leader. But your leader may not do that or may not know to do that. You then therefore schedule those or put or, or place reminders on your calendar a week before to request those those times. And I'll be honest with you, my current ESC person does that. And that that that, that then eliminate me scheduling meeting. It's 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 breathtaking, it's wonderful because sometime I'm inundated with a challenge during that season. All I know is, hey, there's no fires in, in, in the uh, special ed department. Great. Yeah. But that also means if there's no fires making it to my level, that means that she's doing an awesome job addressing those concerns. So I, I, I love the fact that when she requests, sometimes it's 10, 15 minutes, and she just oftentimes in the morning because I come early and my door's open, she's like, can I come for a few minutes? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah come, come in. And, and hey, these are what I, what's been happening, I, I've been taken care of. So she's just letting me know what she took care of. Maybe some big rocks and big issues, projects that are coming up. Or just, hey, this is what we're going. Now, it may sound bad. I love it because, A, that lets me know she's taking your problems that, hey, I don't have to worry about, right? And B, that allows me not to know the work that she's doing to truly value her. So that way, by the time evaluation comes in, right, I know the work that she's already doing. Uh, and by me understanding my evaluation system, I know how to evaluate her appropriately and not just, hey, um, you know, I just, yes, it's supposed to be at that specific time, but the work that support people do is not just one specific, one specific child. It's continuous, ongoing work. Oh, yeah. That would always stress me out so much because it's like they have this 20 minute period where they're going to come evaluate me. But but of course, they are obviously basing it on how I interact with meetings and all the other all the other context they have for for how I'm, you know, interacting as a team member. And I think that's something that I always tell, um, you know, therapists, if they have a concern about, well, this person who's evaluating me doesn't have an expertise in my clinical area, you know, and I always say, well, you know, they can 
consult with somebody else who does and get feedback, kind of like what you were mentioning, that you're getting feedback about looking looking at an IEP from an outside perspective, or you can seek out mentorship and feedback in your clinical area. And then your principal can just, you know, talk about how well you present and train and interact as a team member, because all of that stuff is not all of those, I guess you'd call them soft skills are really important to your job as well. And I, I mean, I think that it is actually important to have feedback from people who aren't from your discipline because Otherwise, it gets very siloed off and you don't get any other perspective for how you are seen as a team member. So I think that's a really important piece as well. And um, something that I always that I always share with people when they are concerned about that. So. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, Oh, oh, one other thing I was going to say is that and I, I think that what other people can, you know, can kind of do. And what I also encourage people to do is that sometimes, depending on the chain of command in your district, you know, you might be, if that you don't have a special ed coordinator, you as the special ed teacher or the therapist, I mean, that can be you. Like there's a lot of situations or smaller districts where the, the therapists themselves are almost functioning as a special ed coordinator. So, they can actually be that person who does, you know, all of these things that you're mentioning because, you know, you're in a very big district. So there's this whole chain of command, but you can just sort of take on that leadership role yourself, <laughs> you know, get, do what needs to get done. So and, oh, and that's ahead. key. That, that's key. Lead based on your district, based on your context, lead. Yeah. Well, this is a good place to wrap up. So where can people go to learn more about you and some of the information that you share for school leaders and um, just, you know, how to be a good team member? Ken, thank you so much for having me on. Um, this, you know, uh, this was this was so awesome. Uh, I love, I, I tell my, I tell school leaders that, uh, and I tell my personal team that, listen, I tell leaders, number one, if you don't feed your teachers and your team, they're going to eat the kids. Um, <laughs> and I turn around and I tell my support people, if they don't if they don't feed the teachers they work with, they're going to eat the kids, right? And, and all I'm simply saying is that making sure that you build relationship, you add value, you support your people. How can you connect with me? Um, you, you can connect with me on on all, on all the major social medias. Um, it's uh, my, my hashtag, uh, Hendo is uh, Dr. G Harrigan uh, on Instagram and, and on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn and on Facebook. That's just my name, Gastrid Harrigan. So uh, thank you for having me on. It, it, it was really uh, uplifting. Well, thank you so much for being here. Be sure to check the show notes for all of Dr. Harrigan's links to connect with him on LinkedIn and Instagram. And also be sure to check the show notes for the link to the School Leaders Podcast. And also don't forget to check out the Executive Functioning Implementation Guide. If you are a school practitioner and you want to help your IEP team to implement executive functioning support across your student's day, and support the rest of the kids in your building, but you're not exactly sure where everyone fits in in the process, then you'll definitely want to check out the Executive Functioning Guide. In this guide, I share exactly why this is such an important area to supporting children's mental health, as well as helping them build strong relationships. So to download this free guide so you can get your team on the right track, you're going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash EF schools. Finally, if you have a guest that you would like to see on the show, or if you have a suggestion for a guest, someone who has shown some type of leadership in their clinical role, or just someone who has shown leadership in supporting kids in their community, I would love to hear about them. I always love to get great suggestions for guests, as well as if you want to recommend yourself for an interview you'll want to email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. And if you would like me to come speak to your group on language, leadership, or executive functioning, then you'll also want to email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com as well. So now we'll wrap up, but thank you so much for listening. <music>